funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious tonight. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5 flying high in both teams. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling it's the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know, hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like, that's, that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. We are presented by the King's Herald, and today's episode is going to be a little bit different, um, something I'm playing with potentially doing a bit more often here. I'm titling this one, Taking Pulse, and I have five different questions that I'm going to bring in some members of, of media and King's Twitter to kind of answer. I think they're somewhat polarizing questions, uh, mainly kind of focused around the rotations and maybe some expectations and how those have altered throughout um, this kind of up and down season that we've seen uh, recently from Sacramento. Um, The five questions that I'm going to go through are, how have your expectations changed for the Kings over the last few weeks? Should the Kings be buyers or sellers at the deadline and why? And then a couple rotation questions of, um, would you rather play Kyle Guy or Corey Joseph at the backup point guard, Chemezi Metu or Hassan Whiteside at backup center? And lastly, would you prefer Robert Woodard be brought up to the Sacramento roster? Why or why not? And if so, whose minutes does he take? Um, So, yes, again, I'm going to play myself asking one of those questions, and then I will clip together everyone's answers in a row um, before moving on to the next one and go through those with all five. And I think it's going to be interesting to hear some varying opinions and definitely reach out on Twitter at Kings underscore Pulse to potentially be on one of these in the future and also just give your thoughts on who you potentially agree or disagree with and their logic. Um, I'm really excited for this one and again I think it's something that I might do more so in the future. Um, I'm not going to give any of my opinions. I I do plenty of that on this podcast so just to kind of highlight some of the other thoughts around um, the Sacramento Kings fan base and media. So let's just get straight into the participants and their answers. Uh, I'm Brian West of the Kings Herald uh, on Twitter at BSWest5. I am Matt George, host of the Locked On Kings podcast and uh, one of the radio hosts over at Sports 1140 KHDK flagship radio station of the Kings. Uh, my name is Tim Maxwell. I am a writer for the Kings Herald, one of the larger Sacramento Kings websites out there, and I also host a podcast with Sandra Singh. Also of the Kings Herald, but we podcast for the Be Heard Network. Our podcast is called Watching the Tape. So not even sure if I'm authorized to be here, but uh, I want to thank Brandon for having me on for this little question and answer session. Hello, I'm Damian Barling, host of Dealing with KC on ESPN 1320. I'm Sanjay Singh. I'm a writer for the Kings Herald, and I also host a podcast called Watching the Tape on the Be Heard platform, co-hosting it with Tim Maxwell from the Kings Herald. Yeah, this is Kenny Carraway, one half of the hit radio show in Sacramento on ESPN 1320, D-Lo and KC. 
You can find me at IMKDiddy on Twitter and every Monday through Friday on ESPN 1320. Hey guys, I am Jill Adge and I currently am on a podcast with Damian Barling. We are um, Hoopball Kings and so you can find me at Jill Adge and at Hoopball Kings. Hey everybody, this is uh, Omer Khan. Um, I've been writing for Keep the Kings Herald and uh, Sacktown Royalty for I think about five, six years now. And uh, my Twitter handle is O underscore A underscore con k-h-a-n so uh catch me there or um sometimes i take over the main king's herald twitter uh handle and uh post short threads on um just things that i see on film question one uh, how have your expectations changed for the kings over the last few weeks honestly i don't really think my expectations have changed over the season um True, I didn't see this team rattling off a 7-1 streak against top-tier competition. Um, but I always thought this was a developmental year. Uh, it was a year to figure out just how great De'Aaron Fox is, how Tyrese Halliburton fits with this roster, if Marvin Bagley is a piece of the future, if any of these veterans really need to be here next season. Um, you know, I, I always thought this was a developmental year. Uh, I expected ups and downs, not to the level we've seen for sure, but expecting ups and downs. Um, and that's really helped keep me sane in these down games, especially these last two listless performances. Um, I'm now at the point where I expect them just to compete in every contest, and they haven't done that in the last two. So that's disappointing. Um, but as I've joked about on Twitter, I'm really zen this year. We're a developmental team, and without great expectations for this year, I can safely say that my expectations are the same. If anything, they've muddied the waters a little bit because I thought the clear plan coming in, or at least I believe from our very limited understanding of Monty McNair, that it was going to be a a rebuild year, a play the young guys a, a significant amount of minutes, try and get the most you can out of the young core, see if Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox could play together as well as they could, see if you could potentially move on from Buddy Hill to Harry. Harrison Barnes or both at the deadline, see if Marvin Bagley could stay healthy and could be included in that young core conversation. But as the season has gone on and the Kings have in a way treaded water, overperformed and also underperformed, like I said, it's muddied the waters a little bit, almost to where I think the Kings have as good of a shot of making the playoffs as they do of getting a top three pick. So which one is more worth them going after? Obviously, they haven't been in the playoffs in a long time, and obviously a top three pick would be extremely valuable in what's expected to be a strong 2021 draft. Um, For me, I I personally choose to um, get the, the reps and the opportunities for the players who are already here, not necessarily try and focus on what could be. Uh, So I think I would prefer the Kings going for the playoffs versus outright intentionally tanking. But right now, they seem to be right in the mix of that, what, NBA uh, purgatory position that a lot of teams don't want to be in. They haven't really changed, I would say, from a season-wide perspective. We had the, uh, you know, winning seven of eight where everyone was kind of like, oh, maybe they're putting things together. And then, of course, there was the, there is the current 0-4 stretch. Um, I just, I don't think this team is very good. I don't think as currently assembled, they're very bad. They're just kind of mediocre to bad. Um, and if, if they make the moves, I think they may, they're going to make, um, I would expect them to, to trend more towards bad. So I don't know if expectations from a, from a season long perspective have changed. 
Um, maybe I should say, though, my expectations for Tyrese Halliburton have changed. Um, I, I walked in the season very high on Halliburton. However, I certainly didn't expect him to play at such a high level so quickly. A 20-year-old kid really being a quality starter, role player level in the NBA right from the get-go was really impressive. So I would say my expectation for the Kings as a whole haven't really changed, but um, I'm, I'm, I've been very impressed with the rookie for sure. They haven't changed. Uh, my expectations are, are, are pretty much the same. I, I still think because of the shape of the Western Conference that they can compete for a 9-10 spot. They, they might even be able to compete for a 7-8 and eight spot. And it's not like I think so highly of the Sacramento Kings. It's just I think lowly of the conference right now. And my expectations for them haven't changed at all. I mean, I would have preferred them not to lose four games in a row after such a great stretch. But, you know, really, no Kings fan is surprised by this. And you had to believe that there were going to be ups and downs throughout the season. And there have been ups and there have been a couple of downs. So my expectations right now, even though I'm disappointed in the moment, are still exactly the same. My expectations actually kind of haven't really changed. I mean, the Kings came into a lot of the games during their winning streak against players that or against teams that are missing key players, key rotational players specifically, like against the Raptors and the Celtics. Uh, you kind of just go down the list there, and then they were able to scrape by with some late you know, wins in the final minutes of the game. And then now you're seeing them kind of come back down to earth, but it's weird that they're losing to teams they technically shouldn't be losing as much to. Like I know Brooklyn came in without Kevin Durant. Orlando just had really nobody. But the Sacramento Kings are kind of showing that they've They've been fluctuating between like a team that can seemingly pull off insane victories and then they come back down to earth and then they collapse against teams they really should be beating. So my expectations really is just like I just really don't know who the Kings are at this point or maybe I do and it's just that they're not as good as some of their wins seem to indicate. But my expectations have been pretty stable even though the Kings have been a roller coaster so far this season. Not much. Um if anything is for the better, I, I always thought from the beginning of the season that they were a little better team than people were giving them credit for and that they should be somewhere around that playing game. Um, I, I think that's kind of their ceiling, that, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 range. And they're consistently inconsistent. So just like they won 7 of 8, they lose 4 in a row, and I'm pretty sure at some point soon they'll win 4 or 5. That's the that's the gift and the curse. They they hang around, but they can never get too far um, ahead of expectations because they just can't have a certain level of consistency. Okay, so this is kind of a, a funny one. So honestly, I would say that they're the same roller coaster team that I've been watching for the last you know thirty plus years or so. And going into the season, I had pretty low expectations for this team just based on the changes that were made. Um, it was a shortened, you know, off season. There was no summer league. Uh, the the whole breakdown and the, the sign and trade and all that kind of stuff and just signing minimum vets. I just, my, my expectations just were not high. So I would have to say it, the funny thing is, is even though they're playing bad right now, they're still exceeding my expectations that they had for this team going into the season, at least where their record is at this point. 
uh, it's the usual suspects of they're beating the teams that they shouldn't be and losing to the teams that they should be beating the the continual uh roller coaster that that we are used to um but in terms of you know going into it that I wasn't going to be so much as worried about wins and losses as I just wanted to actually see good basketball and progression from at least this young core and I wanted to see guys play the right way basically meaning fundamentally sound playing physical high basketball IQ and, you know, we're seeing that some nights and not others. Again, no surprise. So I'll just say continue continue to show me progress with guys like Halliburton, Fox, and Bagley, because at this point that's who I do consider our, our young core. And so, you know, not, regardless of winning and losing the games, pretty much there is at least points during the game where I'm always – able to find positives with those three guys. So to me, um, you know, I'm excited there. It's nice to see the the D League guys, uh, the G League guys, um, you know, doing their thing there. But basically at at this point in the season, I have to say I'm, I'm, it's, it's no surprise that we continue to see the up and down and very limited uh, defensive play. So it mostly has to do with Darren Fox. Um, it was, it's been asked a lot. When is Darren Fox going to make the leap, the quote unquote leap that so many star players across the league make? And uh, over the last few weeks, when the Kings were going through that that streak of winning, what was it, seven and eight games? Um, you saw Darren Fox make that leap. You saw him take over the game at the end of the fourth quarter and basically uh, lead the team to all these victories in close games against quality competition. So um, in terms of team expectations, I think that is the biggest thing that has changed for me is that Darren Fox is a legit closer and his ceiling is so much higher than what I was expecting um, before this stretch started. So um it, it's mostly centered around how the Kings build in the future around De'Aaron Fox. Question two, should the Kings be buyers or sellers at the deadline and why? Well, assuming that this team is still on this roller coaster of highs and lows come the trade deadline, uh, I definitely think they should be sellers. Um, I absolutely respect Harrison Barnes' skill set and professionalism, but I don't know that he's going to be a key part of the next great Kings team. Um, Buddy Heald has become somewhat underrated, in my opinion, due to his recent shooting slump. But I still think there will be a decent market out there for him. Uh, And the Kings certainly need to move one of those two guys to get the financial flexibility and be able to re-sign Rashawn Holmes. Um, One thing I want to reiterate is I really think Monty McNair is proving to be a GM who has set expectations for trade values. Um, If he was as low on Buddy Heald as Kings Twitter is, I think Buddy would have been traded months ago. Uh, honestly, I think his reservation is probably a great thing right now, considering the trade landscape of the NBA. As you and I have talked about on this pod before, there aren't looking to be many sellers at this trade deadline. So if McNair plays this right, I think we can really come out of the trade deadline more pleased than we have been in previous years. Um, I'm hardly a trade prognosticator, so who knows? I can't overly get excited about this inconsistent team in the immediacy, so... 
I hope McNair holds his cards close to the chest and goes into the trade deadline as a seller. I think there's a way to be a buyer, but for it to still fit Monty McNair's plan. And what I mean by that is, is there a way that the Kings could acquire, not necessarily Andre Drummond specifically, but I'm going to use him as an example. Andre Drummond is a big expiring contract this year. Theoretically, adding him to this roster would be an upgrade, a bit of a a win-now move, at least short-term. And I believe there'd be a pretty high expectation that Drummond would not then re-sign with the Sacramento Kings uh, during the offseason. So maybe there is a kill two birds with one stone scenario where Monty McNair could get rid of the contracts of, say, Nemanja Bielitsa and maybe Buddy Heald or, or Harrison Barnes, take back a piece like Andre Drummond that theoretically could put the Kings in a position to maybe make a, a push for the play-in tournament. And if it doesn't work out, Drummond leaves, that money's off the books, and then McNair has his flexibility that he wants to maybe make a splash in free agency or, or be aggressive in the trade market. So maybe that's the best-case scenario. Uh but it also, as Sam Amick kind of pointed out in his athletic article, there are going to be a lot more buyers than there are going to be sellers in that market. And could Monty McNair and the Kings take advantage of that by being one of a few sellers that have some pieces, like specifically Harrison Barnes, who I think a, a number of teams with playoff hopes could, could use? We've got to sell. There is no other option. Um the question I would pose, the, the rhetorical question I would pose to anyone who, who disagrees, which is, of course, fine, is how do you make this team significantly better without sacrificing the future? If you're going to trade, and a common thing I hear is, well, we'll trade Buddy and Barnes for better players. A, you can't get better value, better value for less value, right? No one's going to be like, oh, Harrison Barnes, let me give you a better player for him. Secondly, even if you were to trade Buddy or Barnes, for rotational players. Let's just say we want to move Tyrese Halliburton into the starting lineup, um, and so we're going to trade Buddy to, to solidify our bench, right? Something along those lines. Contenders are not trading win-now players for other win-now players. Buddy and Barnes are not considered, you know, they're not all-stars. They're not, they're average. They're average starters, I would say. So a contender doesn't want to trade their other win-now players for another win-now player. The whole point of training a veteran like Buddy or Barnes is a contender is willing to sacrifice future wins, right? So they're willing to sacrifice a draft pick or a young player who's not going to help them win today. They're going to sacrifice those assets tomorrow for today. And so you can't just trade average starters for better starters. And if you trade your average starter for bench players, well, you're probably worse in the long run because high-end talent is worth more than a couple of lower end talent pieces. So aside from trading picks or trading second rounders or I don't know, maybe moving a Marvin Bagley, but I don't think he carries that value either. I just don't see the path forward to this team contending this year or next. And if you're not contending this year or next, you've got to move on from Buddy. You've got to move on from Barnes. There's also the aspect of cap space this summer. If you don't move either one, you're over the cap and there's nothing worse then big an over-the-cap, older, bad team, and that's where the Kings would be headed. Um, if you want to re- re-sign Rashawn Holmes, which is a very popular notion in the Kings world, you need to move at least one of them. So if you're moving one, you're probably moving him for a pick or a young piece or both. You may as well move both. We saw what happened when the Kings did not trade Rudy Gay towards the end of his deal. He got hurt. 
he lost all of his value. The Kings weren't able to recoup anything there. So for me, I just I don't think there's any path forward but to sell and, and move on from there. It's interesting. I think they could be buyers and sellers. Uh, I think, you know, a, a popular name right now is Andre Drummond. And what would the acquisition of Andre Drummond ultimately mean for the Sacramento Kings? Well, it probably wouldn't mean a lot. They'd be better in the short term. Uh, in, in, like, I don't know what the magic scenario is. Like, if you brought in Andre Drummond, like, I think it could be really helpful for you. You'd probably have to get rid of Buddy Hield, which I think a lot of Kings fans would be all good for. And given, you know, the way that he's played this year and the amount of years and dollars left on his contract, I think you're in a category right there where you're both a buyer and a seller. I think there are other interesting options out there, like Lonzo Ball, I think is intriguing. And I think just given the pieces that the Sacramento Kings have, I actually think that they can navigate the market in a way where they could potentially increase financial flexibility next season while also remaining competitive for kind of a lower tier playing playoff spot in the Western Conference. I think the Kings should be sellers at the deadline. And it was something that Tim and I, we talked about in our last Watch the Tape episode. And that was that a lot of the rumors we're seeing right now kind of hints in the direction that there's not a lot of sellers coming into the trade deadline, like the market for teams looking to shed talent is very scarce. So for the Kings to have guys like Buddy and Barnes, who theoretically could really help out a contending team like Harrison Barnes is a very versatile wing on both ends of the floor. Buddy Heald is one of the best high-volume three-point shooters in the league who also drills them at a high volume. So you don't really find those types of shooters around. I know he has his defensive issues, but he can. both players are can really help a team in need of shooting and for Barnes, you know, defensive versatility as well. So, you know, Sacramento, they are in an interesting position where they shouldn't really be giving up any of their own assets or draft capital to target someone unless it's, you know, for the right player, like AKA John Collins, who is already, who can come in immediately and help out a Kings team and try to um, establish a core with Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox. But right now in a market where, there's just not a lot going on. The Kings should be trying to sell some of their players that don't really have long-term futures for this franchise. Oh, that's a double-edged question right here, double-edged sword, because I think they should be buyers, um, but there's also some selling components there. But sell, when 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 I when people say sellers, to me, it's usually like, ah, let's throw in the towel on this season. Let's move on. If they trade guys away, I don't think that's necessarily what they're uh, trying to do. When you talk about a Bielitsa, a Corey Joseph, or even a Buddy Hield in some of the trades that I've seen, um, it, it would be trades to maybe get a couple of assets as far as uh, second-round picks and things of that nature. But I also think they can get some good guys on, on expiring deals that might fit what they're trying to do a little bit better. So I say buyers, um, but it's probably a little different than other people see it with the people that they'd be trading away. All right. Well, I'm not really going to be giving any hot takes here, but I'll say that this team reminds me of the the 2018-19 Jaeger season. I believe that was the year. It was his last year. And they, they were essentially sellers, right? They, they got rid of Jackson and Shumper. It, it messed with some of the chemistry, but – Yes, you did bring in, at least on paper, better players, right, in Barnes and Alec Burks. The the moves didn't make, you know, the moves made sense from where they are. They were going for that eight-seed playoff push. But, again, this the core part of the group continued to still make their mistakes. So at the end of the day, that even though they were sellers, 
they still fell short. So I will say that considering we still have, a, you know, that core group, they're not showing me any kind of growth or consistency that where if we were buyers, that that's a guaranteed, you know, we're going to make the eight seed or seven seed or, you know, wherever they see it finishing. So I'm really hesitant to be buyers at this point, just because this is really the first year where we've had all our, we're going to be having all our draft picks and, and we're still, we're still hearing the same comments from players, the same comments from coaching that they're still having to slow things down and they're still having to handle things, you know, at the basic level. And at what point does the front office, you know, make the decision that, you know, some of these guys have been three years and we're still having to work the basics of things to to be able to to help them and you can see the defense is, is not improving, right? We're, I mean, we're seeing it off and on, but number-wise, they've been so bad for so long that even when they do make progress, they're still very bad. And, you know, we saw Monty go after guys like uh, Dante in the offseason where if they do end up being sellers and Monty ends up going after those kind of type players, like a like a Delon Wright, um, if you could somehow get Maxi from Philadelphia, like I doubt that would happen. But if you can if you can be sellers and get some young de- defensive guard wings, and that's available, that's the track I would rather see Monty going rather than than selling for older vets, but. Again, I don't know if we're going to see anything right away or if they're going to give this some more time to see how this team shakes out um, closer to uh, the deadline and and the all-star break. But at some point, um, they might have to make a decision sooner rather than later if there is something they're looking at. Uh, let's say a Boston or something like that really is interested in Harrison Barnes and you, you don't want to wait too long that that falls apart or you end up, you know, like Vladi was, we had a better deal two days ago. So at some point they're going to have to make a decision. I, I am interested to see which way it goes, but at this point I would rather be sellers than buyers, even if that means missing out on the playoffs again. I think they should be sellers for sure. Because this season isn't about making a playoff push at all costs. Um, they need to be thinking about how does the roster shape up around Darren Fox. And Fox is 23 years old. So the Kings should be looking for players who fit Darren Fox's timeline. And when it comes to the deadline this year, um, you have a bunch of veterans on the team that have trade value that you can use to find players that would fit De'Aaron Fox's timeline better than um, a more win-now type of mindset. So players like Buddy Heald, who's like 27, 28, Harrison Barnes, 28 years old. Um, I can see the Kings keeping some of these veterans, like um, Barnes isn't necessarily old, Rashawn Holmes isn't necessarily old, but at the same time, if you can get a really good piece that will help you win in the future when De'Aaron Fox is hitting his prime, then you should absolutely be looking to make those type of moves. 
Question three, would you rather play Kyle Guy or Corey Joseph at the backup point guard? Well, first off, let's talk. mention that Corey Joseph was dying all right in that Nets game. Um, 22 points, 10 to 13 shooting, some real solid defensive moments against uh, Kyrie Irving. Um, I feel bad for how much I've ragged on Corey Joseph lately, so he should get props when he has a strong game like that. Um, but as for your question, uh, we both know that teams can't go into the season playing for the future. Um, so any head coach, Luke Walton included, would have lost the locker room really quickly if he had immediately played Kyle Guy over Corey Joseph to start the season, not because of the individual players involved, but for what it would have meant for their goal on the season. Um, the Kings had to give it a real honest effort to try and win, see if they were a team of destiny. And that, of course, means giving the first run of minutes to the veterans who the locker room thinks are the real leaders. Um, but as the Kings get further and further into the season, I really do hope that Luke Walton will give guys like guys like Kyle Guy more extended playing time. Um, and I don't mean that as completely remove Corey Joseph from the rotation. My preference has always been to give Guy three or four games in a row where he gets as many of the minutes as Corey Joseph would normally get. Um, and depending on those results, it may be time to go back to Corey Joseph. Who knows? Um, I know it's not so cut and dry as that, given that guys can get in foul trouble or bad matchups or what has it. But I'd really just like to see Walton give Kyle Guy meaningful extended runs for a few games in a row, because giving him the five to eight minutes every fourth game or so just isn't really going to tell us much. I understand all arguments against my points, but to me, it's still Corey Joseph. A lot of it also has to do with what's the plan of the Kings going forward. If it's complete youth movement, we don't really not really worried about winning today. Then I would say just play Kyle Guy. What's the point? But Corey Joseph, to me, I'm a much bigger supporter of Corey Joseph than I think a majority of Sacramento Kings fans and, and media members are. He's an incredibly important locker room leader now that doesn't necessarily have to translate to the floor and certainly hasn't at times this season. Statistically, Corey Joseph has, has not been great, and I've liked what I've seen from Kyle Guy in limited stretches, but Corey's more of a veteran presence. I think he understands what the Kings are trying to do better than Kyle Guy does. He is not great defensively, but a better defender than, than Kyle Guy would be, in my opinion. So I'm okay with sticking with Corey Joseph as of right now, but you certainly won't see me being frustrated if Kyle Guy gets those minutes and gets those run that run because he's fun to watch. I think this answer, and I'll answer it for myself personally, but this answer for people in general inevitably depends on their stance on the season, right? If you want to win now, although I'm I'm by no means a Corey Joseph fan as far as his on-court production, he's probably more effective at this point in his career than Kyle Guy, although we just don't know who Kyle Guy is. Um, for me personally, because I don't think this season is going anywhere for this team, I would much rather uh, invest in developmental minutes. Kyle Guy can only play 50 of 72 games, but I know he's already missed several as far as being active or a few being active. So um, I think that's fine to play him whenever you want. So personally, I would play Kyle Guy over Corey Joseph. I want that shooting I want to see how he develops. I think him and Tyrese Halliburton seem to have a good little bit of chemistry that they've probably developed off the court in practice and workout sessions together. Personally, I would rather see him uh, in, in the lineup. But if you're wanting to win now, if you're Luke Walton needing to win games to save your job, you're probably going to play Corey Joseph. I mean, I, I'm not. That's a debate in the Kings universe that just hasn't moved me yet. 
I feel like Kyle Guy is really intriguing to people because he's a little bit more unknown and the little bit we know about him and the what, what was it was it Golden State like was it a game winner against Golden State and like all this cool stuff in the preseason. Like, yeah, like I assume there's a reason we don't see a lot of them, whether it's defense, whether it's physicality. Like, I'm not really sure. The Sacramento Kings aren't really a physical team. Um, So that's just a debate that I I, I don't – I can't sink my teeth into either one of them. Corey Joseph's minutes over the last – he's been fine, and I think he's made the most of his minutes. You can't be critical of him, though. I think he has the stat line in the Brooklyn game that's terribly skewed because of, you know, garbage minutes. But, you know, overall, if you force me to pick one, I probably would rather see what Kyle Guy has to offer than continuing to see what Corey Joseph has to offer. I'd rather, in terms of development, I'd rather play Kyle Guy, of course, because Kyle Guy, as we saw in the preseason, as we've seen a couple of times when he's played in short bursts during the regular season, he just provides more offensively. And I know Corey Joseph is reputed to be you know, solid defender, um, but he's not, that's been far from the case so far this season. He's had a lot of issues trying to stay in front of defenders. His team defense hasn't been that great either. The Kings in general just haven't been a good defensive team, and Corey Joseph has one of the team's worst net differential ratings too. He has a minus 15.3 differential um, when he's on the court, which is just absurdly inefficient, and he's just not providing it on the offensive end either. Like, You'd ideally want Corey Joseph to at least help out on the offensive end when the defense isn't working, but that just hasn't been the case. Kyle Guy, he's not known to be a good defender. His size and his skills kind of lean that way, but on offense, he's a light, he can be a lights-out three-point shooter, and he's shown some promise operating in pick-and-rolls and playing off of Tyrese Halliburton. And so for developmental purposes, I'd much rather prefer Kyle Guy to get the run, and I know it's kind of tough because he's in that two-way contract situation, so he can't always suit up, as we've seen in their last game was he was when he was dressed in street clothes, he wasn't able to play. Um, but like Corey Joseph, he's not going to go for 22 points every single night as he did against Brooklyn. Um, he had that 16 point outing against the Toronto Raptors a couple of weeks ago, but that's just not who he is. He has those games every once in a while, but not consistent enough to justify any, you know, type of minutes over a young developmental point guard and guy going forward. This is tough, man, because you know I'm not I'm not of the uh, belief that Corey Joseph is is such a bad backup point guard. Uh, I think it's, it's accentuated by the fact that the entire bench isn't really good outside of Tyrese Halliburton, and there's a lot of holes. If there was better bench players around him, I think Corey would be a little more effective. Um, but at the same time, I really like Kyle Guy. Like I, I think the kid can play. I think he has earned an opportunity to get some minutes in this league. It might not be this year. Maybe it's something that, you know, going into the summer and going into next year, he gets to see more consistent time. But I really like Kyle Guy. I think he can play. The one thing that worries me, and I'm sure he worries the coaching staff, is he he would be able to defend on the NBA level, even going up against backup point guards and backup shooting guards. Is he big enough enough and quick enough to be able to defend? So I'd like to see Kyle Guy minutes, but I don't think Corey Joseph minutes are a problem right now for the Kings. I know this is probably going to be against what a lot of fans think, but I'm fine with Joseph getting his his 10 to 15 minutes a night and allowing Guy to continue to be worked in as the season goes. Uh, I think there are a lot of people that forget he is actually a two-way player, and so he's only allowed so many games. 
And if they do end up trading Kojo and let's say you have injuries after that or, you know, they don't get a point guard back, you're going to need Guy for as many games basically to end the season as you can. So um, I'm fine with it now, but let's say the team's not in the hunt, you know, come the deadline and Joseph isn't traded, then I'll have much more of an issue of, of his minutes where they are at that point of the season and not seeing, um, you know, guys, uh, players like Guy or Ramsey really get that shot to, to end the year out. So I, I'm fine with it now. Um, but again, it's closer to the deadline and depending on what happens to them. If, if we're still seeing this same kind of thing after the deadline, then I'll have more of an issue with it. I would rather play Kyle Guy because again, we have to think about De'Aaron Fox's timeline. We need to see what the Kings have with their uh, young guys at the end of the bench. The Kyle guys, the Daquan Jeffries, Justin James, Robert Woodard. Um, it would be such an advantage to the franchise if one of these guys, or even multiple of these guys, turned out to be a player that sticks in the league because then that's just another piece you don't have to go looking for in the future. Corey Joseph, um, you know, I, most fans are not big fans of Corey Joseph. And um, I understand why. He's played really poorly this season. Um, I can see why Walton has stuck with him because um, he's a veteran and uh, coaches tend to stick to veterans across the league. And this isn't a King-specific thing. And um, if you ask... Um, some of the Kings' point guards like uh, Tyrese Halliburton or De'Aaron Fox, they'll talk very highly of Corey Joseph and his mentorship behind the scenes. So um, I don't want to trash Corey Joseph um, or kind of downplay what he brings to the table, but um, the Kings really should be looking towards the future as opposed to um, playing somebody like Joseph who doesn't have much upside and who's in his prime now. And for the final question, would you prefer Robert Woodard be brought up to the Sacramento roster? Why or why not? And if so, whose minutes does he take? Uh, first off, I'm glad that they ran Woodard through the G League because he's clearly taking advantage of it. Um, that said, I'd absolutely love to see Robert Woodard be back, bring, be brought back to the main roster. Um, reward the rookie for his fantastic G League play with actual minutes on this real team. Much like my last couple of answers, I would love to see him get all of the minutes Luke Walton would normally give to Glenn Robinson the third. Um, and if Walton doesn't want to go that route, give him a Stone Whiteside's minutes. Play Marvin Bagley at center and Woodard at power forward. Um, I just want to see them call him back, or if they really have to wait, just whenever he comes back to the roster, just give him 10 minutes a game for four games in a row. See if he can reproduce that G League success and become a real bench player for this roster. I really don't think that 10 to 15 minutes a game for three or four games in a row is a big ask or that it would cost the Kings any wins that they might otherwise have if they've played Robinson, Metu, or Whiteside. And given the team's total lack of bench success, there's no reason not to try it, in my opinion. This one I'm not on the fence on at all because I am wanting Robert uh, Woodard to stay put. Absolutely stay put. I'm a huge Huge fan of Woodard, and I'm thrilled with the numbers um, and production he's been putting up in, in the G League because, to me, it says, hey, this guy is an NBA player. Typically, and no disrespect to the G League, but typically when NBA-caliber players go down to the G League, 
they have the success that we've seen out of Woodard. Now, it's only been a short span, so let's see what happens and if he can maintain it over the course of this entire bubble and maybe even heading into training camp. But as of right now, this is exactly what you want for Woodard. Reps, big minutes, big opportunity. He's one of the the key pieces with the Austin Spurs, at least from the limited minutes that I've actually watched uh, him playing over there. He's putting up good numbers. He's he's all over the place. He's working on that outside shot that Luke Walton said specifically is what's needed for him to to really make that jump to the NBA level. So I, I want both Robert Woodard and Jamias Ramsey, no matter how good they do in the bubble, to just stay put, enjoy those reps, enjoy those minutes, and by training camp for the start of next season, bring that confidence in that they earn from the bubble and hopefully uh, make a name for themselves to earn a rotation spot. I don't think it's, that's so outlandish for two second-round picks. Right now, I'm perfectly happy to have Robert Woodard and Ramsey uh, as well in the G League. They're not... Although as much as we want them to get minutes, I don't know if it would be best for their development to get minutes right now. The G League is a beautiful tool when used correctly, and we've seen teams use it correctly. Heck, we've seen the the Kings use it pretty well in the past. And I think it's a really good tool for the players of Woodard's caliber. We've seen Woodard's averaging like 18-plus points per game in the G League, and, and we see these guys sometimes a little bit. I don't want to say he's dominating the G League, but he's playing very well. And so it's a good time for him to work on specific skills and game situations where he's not going to get killed for, you know, he, he lacks self-creation, for example, or any sort of creation skills, really, which is fine. But he can work on those skills without being punished by, you know, losing minutes on a team or even by losing his team games, right? That's, that's part of the challenge of playing young players is they're going to cost you minutes, they're going to cost you points, they're potentially going to cost you games. And so Woodard in the G League right now is given the opportunity to play 25, 30 minutes a night, whatever it may be, and still work on those skills in a competitive environment. And especially with this G League bubble, um, you've got former NBA players in there. You've got the Ignite team, right? You've got quality talent down there that he can really push his himself further. So I'm I'm perfectly happy that he is in the G League right now. I think that's great for his development. If he continues to play at a really high level, I'm also okay if they want to bring him back a little early or if they want to keep him down there. Now, once the G League bubble is over or once the Kings decide to bring him back at whichever point they feel like he has kind of used his time wisely there, I would really like to see him get into the rotation. We've seen Glenn Robinson III enter the rotation. He's been kind of in and out, and frankly, he hasn't been effective Um you got Jabari Parker riding on the bench. There's not really another kind of forward on the team that's really stepping up kind of combo forward, either a 2-3 or a 3-4 or a 4-3 that has played well outside of Harrison Barnes. And there's no reason not to give Woodard minutes. He can do some unique things for the Kings that no one else can outside of Barnes. Um, so for now, leave him in the G League, let him develop. I don't, I don't really have any issue with that, especially with the fact that Luke Walton's probably not going to play him anyway. But once he does return, uh, I would I would really, really like to see Luke Walton um, give him an opportunity. GR3 is not taking advantage. No, None of these veterans are taking advantage of the opportunities being afforded them. So let's give the young kid a shot. Maybe he can, he can get some minutes and, and make an impact in there. See, I think that's what that, that's really the question is whose whose minutes does he take? Like this is a this is a roster without a ton of depth, and I don't know that Robert Woodard adds depth. Like I would rather him be in the G League right now. I know he's wrecking it. I know he's doing incredible. He's getting big minutes and he's getting the opportunity to play. Me personally, I think I'd rather see that. Like I would rather him be there, getting the work in on a night in and night out basis. Because even if he is 
getting minutes like what for who? Glenn Robinson? Is he, is he, you know, cutting into Marvin Bagley's minutes? I don't think anybody wants that. Is he cutting into Rashawn Holmes' minutes? I don't think anybody wants that. Like, where is minutes actually coming from? Or is minutes coming from, you know, are they just running small guard lineups? Are they coming from Harrison? Are they, like, what are they actually doing uh, with Robert Woodard if they bring him in? I would rather him be in um, the G League and getting consistent minutes and getting uh, the, the the ability to play on a night in night out basis rather than kind of monkey wrenching him in with, you know, a a, a variety of, you know, small lineups or just awkward lineups where it it doesn't feel like it would be a particularly great fit for him. I think right now it's best if Woodard continues to stay in the G league and develop. And why I say that is because it seems like that coaching staff with Austin knows what they're doing. And it's like, it kind of, the coaching staff or the coaching tree with San Antonio and the Spurs organization in general just seems to know what they're doing when it comes to developing players. And Robert Woodard seems to be, you know, their latest example and somebody that they're getting a lot out of very early into his career too. So um, if Robert Woodard is to come up to Sacramento, I just don't know that I'm confident in Luke Walton continuing to optimize Robert Woodard. Like where does really Robert Woodard fit in? Like Daquan Jeffries has been really positive in the Kings rotation when he does get the minutes, but Luke Walton has been giving him minutes. Jeffries didn't make his debut against the Brooklyn Nets until the three-minute mark of the second quarter where the Kings really could have used him much earlier because that def- the defensive effort was just non-existent. Jeffries comes in and immediately provides it. So um, I don't know if I'd be confident in Luke Walton making the right decisions for Woodard's future. Like if they do bring him up, I bet they just not play him. Maybe there's a path for Woodard to get it some minutes now, now that Chimezi Metu is out with a broken wrist. So that could elevate a guy like Woodard to get more minutes at the four, maybe as a small ball five. We've seen Harrison Barnes play some small ball five against Brooklyn. That, that's, that was also like a matchup thing because Jeff Green was also a small ball center. But yeah, I think I'd much rather prefer Woodard continue to develop and continue to get offensive touches to develop some confidence, get into a rhythm, and then you know, as as he progresses, then we'll see what the Kings decide to do. But right now, I think it's still too early for me to believe in Luke Walton's ability to maximize Robert Woodard and what he's showing right now with Austin. Man, I'm I'm trying not to give you any like uh, you know on the fence answers, but I think I've done that the entire time, and this one won't, won't be any different. I like Robert Woodard. I love what he's been able to do in that G League and in the Gubble, as they like to call it. Um, he has shown me a lot. I think if you – man, he's probably NBA ready, but I think the plan going into this whole thing, going into this shortened season or this accelerated season, I should say, would have been for Jemias Ramsey and Robert Woodard to probably spend the entire year in the in the bubble or in the G League if they have the regular G League. And just because he's had a good four or five games, I wouldn't want to deviate from that plan, so I'd keep him in the gubble, um, let him continue to get playing time, let him, let him continue to work on some things, have a big summer with Rico Kynes uh, this summer, and get ready to be part of the rotation next year. That, that's how I go about it. So at this point, um, I'm going to say I want to see Woodard uh, finish out his G League assignment, continue to – to get all the minutes that he's getting there, it, it looks like he's really fitting in with those guys and, and we're seeing growth and almost essentially something new from him every game. So at this point, I, I would rather have him finish out his assignment and then come back up 
because I do know if they bring him up, I'm still not convinced that he's legitimately going to see a shot. We we saw Jeffries come back from injury, and his spot minutes were all over the place. And I know you're you're getting him, you know, guys like Jeffries time in, but the way that it's he's being pulled quickly, and you're not, and maybe that is part of an injury minute thing we don't know about. But at, at this point, if you're bringing him Woodard up and you're going to treat him the same kind of spot minutes we're seeing from uh, Jeffries, I'd rather Woodard stay down there. Um, but after the assignment, yes, I do want to bring um, – I do want to see him get a shot. I want to see him and Jeffries both get a shot. And however they have to work that, um, for sure, I would assume GR3 minutes are gone. And um, however, you know, and whether they end up working, that's an instance where they maybe move Corey Joseph out of there. And then you have uh, Halliburton playing the one and maybe you have uh, Jeffries playing the two because he is he is that combo guard. And then um, depending on if Barnes is here, I don't know, but you can have Woodard fit in there between I would say even at this point, three, four or five, I still think you could probably use him as a small ball five like you are Barnes during minutes, at least just with his body. I don't know how successful it would be, but he at least has that that ready body. But I do think it would be um, beneficial to start seeing um, him get minutes, especially after what he's doing, what he's doing in the G League. So, yeah, I'd like to see that uh, get a shot. I would 100% prefer he brought up to the Sacramento roster. I understand that he, he will be getting – 30, 35 minutes per game in the G League right now. And uh, the G League bubble goes, I think, until something like March 6th. So um, there is a lot of playing time available there. But at the same time, it's not like the Kings bench right now is killing it. Um, you have players like um, Glenn Robinson III and Corey Joseph who are um, underperforming. And um, these guys are, are veterans who are pretty much tapped out on all of their potential. So... Um, who knows? Maybe Woodard comes back and he improves the bench. And uh, even if he doesn't, things can get much worse because the bench has been that bad. So I I don't see any downside to bringing Robert Woodard back and um, giving him, you know, 15, 20 minutes per game off the bench at those wing spots and um, stop sinking so many minutes into veterans who don't really have a future on the team. Thank you to all the people who did end up participating in this one. Uh, I had a really good time putting it together, actually, and we definitely want to hear your opinions on some of these questions. Um, It's going to be up on the Kings Pulse Twitter account, at Kings underscore Pulse, for you to respond with your own answers and get some good conversation going on there between these guys. Definitely looking to do this in the future and get some more of the listener base and fan base involved. Uh, Probably try to do this monthly and, like I said, sprinkle in some of the just general listenership among media and and team covers and and people that you kind of heard today. Um, So definitely, if you're interested in that, feel free to reach out to, like I said, the Kings Pulse Twitter account. And just to go by, one final thank you to everybody on here. By the way, I obviously ended up scrapping the Chemezi, Metu, or Hassan Whiteside question that was kind of part of the rotation questions I was going through because – 
Yeah, big middle finger to Jonas Valanciunas and that Chemezi Metu injury of a fractured hand. Um, absolutely ridiculous. Can't believe people are trying to defend what Valanciunas did. Um, yeah, that, that's all I'm going to say on that. And obviously hoping a speedy recovery for Chemezi Metu because I will say I would have picked Chemezi Metu over Hassan Whiteside. I've definitely been vocal about that on Twitter. But to go back through the people that participated in this and just a final thank you um, and, and where you can find them and just so uh, I'm doing it in order here. That way you know who you were hearing from. It was Bryant West first, who has kind of become co-host of the show since Rich Ivanowski absolutely abandoned me, who, by the way, is going through a horrible weather experience in Texas that has uh, definitely gotten some Twitter coverage. So reach out to him and tell him to keep warm. Um, but Bryant West started. That's at BSWest5 on Twitter. Second one we got in here was Matt George, who was not kind enough to come on, does the Locked on Kings podcast, does an amazing job there. Um, I believe they're five days a week. Definitely listen to that one as along with this. Um, and he also does KHTK 1140. Um, great work there. And it's at Matt George Radio for his Twitter. Then the, the second of the Kings Herald guys, after Bryant West that we have on here, uh, we have Tim Maxwell, better known as Sacktown Baby Giraffe, and his Twitter is at TimMaxwell22, also does the Watching the Tape podcast with Stan Jesh, who we also had on here and we'll get to in a minute, um, but we had Damian Barling come on after Tim, a uh, very well-known guy in, in Sacramento media and currently co-hosting ESPN 1320, which they just got an extended time slot. So congrats to those guys. They do absolutely amazing work. Definitely check out the the radio show that he and uh, Kenny got going on. It's it's 12 to 2. Um, I believe their upgraded time, and, and that's on weekdays, I believe their upgraded time is now going to be 12 to 4. Um, I believe that is what they said today, but I know they do have an additional two-hour segment uh, being added, which is absolutely great news, great content coming out of those guys, and that's at Damian Barling on Twitter there. And then you have the second half of the Watching the Tape podcast, also a King's Herald member. Uh, him and I are, I guess, kind of the babies of the group. We have Sanjess Singe. Hope I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, correctly, my guy, and uh, that's his Twitter as well, at the Sanjesh Singe. Definitely, like I said, um, I, I think that it's not hard to fit in multiple podcasts. Um, watching the tape and King's Herald, I, I think, or and the King's Pulse do about two or three a week, and Matt George does a little bit of a shorter one five days a week. I, I think you could fit in all three of them, and, and we all got different content going on with different opinions, as you kind of can hear in this one. Um, it, it's definitely beneficial to listen to all of them there so definitely check out Tim and Sanchez is watching the tape and then the second half of ESPN 1320 for some live content uh, you had Kenny Carraway come on next that's K Diddy um, at I am K Diddy is the Twitter handle there uh, Kenny's got a fiery personality and he is uh, definitely going to give you some some fun takes and uh, him and Damien are like I said, is very entertaining on their ESPN show. Um, so definitely check out them and tune into those uh, live shows that they got going on for large segments. They got big guests coming on there all the time. I know Marshall Harris, James Hamm, um, a lot of big guests going on there all the time. And then we got Jill Adge, um, who is a longtime Kings fan uh, that's very vocal on Twitter and also runs a podcast as well. That's at Hoopball Kings alongside Damian Barling. Uh, Barling's all over the place on this one, and uh, he has great reason to pick Jill for that pod with him as well. Um, she does absolutely amazing work there, and another podcast 
to add to um, your collection of Sacramento Kings podcasts. We might have hit on all the Kings podcasts in this one, actually, and all their hosts. And the very last person you hear from is Omer Khan, who, in, in my mind, is one of the smartest, if not the smartest, X's and O's person um, involved in Kings Twitter, also a member of the Kings Herald. You see him, as he mentions at the top, do video breakdowns at the Kings Herald Twitter page. Um, absolutely so smart when it comes to bas- basketball X's and O's and his Twitter handle, which everyone should definitely follow. I'm shocked that his following isn't just absolutely through the roof. That's at O underscore A underscore con. And yeah, like I said, I had a really good time putting this together. I really appreciate everyone that was able to make this happen. Um, definitely going to be reaching out to other people and, and try to make this a little bit more of a consistent thing. Like I said, maybe maybe something monthly, um, but it, it's a little different. Um, calling it taking pulse, uh, taking pulse of the fan base, you know, something like that. And um, if if you enjoyed this type of podcast, definitely let me know. Uh, it'll be encouraging and, you know, really get me on my feet to do another one of these if it was well received. Um, but only way I'm going to know is if you reach out um, either to myself individually on Twitter or, or the King's Pulse account, or you could leave a uh, you could leave a review. Uh, you know, it, I always say if you enjoy, leave a five star rating and review. It's very appreciated. Um, and for all of these shows, any any of the ones that you enjoy, um, I can't say how much that really helps the the algorithms um, and really helps the content creators um, and of course you know there's always great content from multiple of the guys that are in today's episode and myself including I'm doing a lot of G League coverage on Woodard who was talked about today and Jemias Ramsey who was my guy had a great um, little finally breakout game in the G League uh, just a scorer um, you know I'm hoping he can step into that buddy healed role at some point and yeah definitely check out the work that is up there from all of the guys including myself at the Kings Herald and support the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage and if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast please subscribe rate and review and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days <laughs>